0: Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Gina Kablek. She's a writer, astrologer, former lingerie boutique owner and recovering academic. Her writing has appeared in Elle, Nylon, Oh! The Oprah Magazine, Allure, Catapult, LitHub, Hub, Autostraddle and more. A born and bred Midwesterner, she now lives in Brooklyn and her first book is called Heretic. Gina, hi. Maris, I'm so glad to be here. I'm I'm so glad to talk to you. I I feel like um, it's kind of kismet that we are talking today, the day that Mike Pence's book comes out, his book called, So Help Me God. Yeah. What happened with that?
1: I I have so many feelings about my pens. I have so many feelings about the absolute uptick uh, in far right author publication uh, that the big five has been so ardently pursuing these last few years um, that I have been actively i have been actively emailing uh simon and schuster in particular over the last few years protesting their uh their book deals with all of these politicians but obviously the the pence book ultimately did go through um yeah i mean mike pence where do you start he's a true I, I believer left... and yeah. yeah
0: yeah i i yeah. i don't think i have ever seen anything as blatant from a mainstream publisher um, when God is in the title of a book.
1: That is so, I mean, your, your history in the industry, uh, especially is so, is so interesting. And I'm, I'm so curious to get your thoughts on it. Cause, cause you've got a really, you've got the long view on this one in terms of how their relationship to how the big fives relationship to the far right has really developed. Um, but from my perspective, it's so as, as someone who is relatively a newcomer and who's re- Relationship to Christian publishing, especially like when I was younger, yeah, uh, and much more a believer. I, you know, I was very. I, I worked at a Christian bookstore in high school, um, and whatnot. But I was used to getting that kind of uh that kind of title and that kind of work from you know the Thomas Nelsons, which was then sure. acquired, which was then of course acquired by Harper. But, um, but it it that kind of work belonged to the Christian imprints. That kind of work belonged to that very indie. Christian niche, which does exceptionally well, but is generally outside of the mainstream um, acknowledgement. It's generally outside of, you know, mainstream publishings uh, or mainstream like literary worlds. Uh, uh, It's outside of their purview. It's outside of, sorry, I'm like so ill-spoken today. Um, It's outside of like the mainstream literary worlds, uh, knowledge, acceptance, that it's going on and so to see someone like pence do this kind of book is really like the former vice president you know it's really staggering uh to me i think especially because he's someone who occupied such a position of power like it's a political book but it's also a really fervently religious book and he always scared me so much in the administration um because he is like i said um i really do see him as being a true believer um which is really is really frightening like the Trumps of the world are are frightening in their own way. Mm -hmm. Um, They're willing to cut the brake lines and do whatever's necessary for power. But someone like Pence is also out here proselytizing and is also out here really like living and breathing those evangelical ideals and trying to govern by them as well. And those ideals are being signed off on by his publisher. So that's horrifying.
2: With Masterclass you can learn from the world's best minds, anytime, anywhere, at your own pace. You can learn songwriting from John Legend, improve your writing skills with Amy Tan, or learn how to cook the perfect poached egg from Gordon Ramsay. With over 150 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. I loved exploring Chris Hadfield's course on space exploration. I was blown away by the insider access we got into, what it's like to train as an astronaut, especially what it feels like to launch in a space rocket. You see it in the movies all the time, but to hear it step-by-step step was completely new for me, and then diving deeper into how rockets are fueled and how much it all costs. I highly recommend you check it out. This holiday, give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash marist review today. That's masterclass.com slash marist review. Terms apply.
0: You know, it it was only when I was reading your book that I remembered or learned that um the Pledge of Allegiance didn't contain the words under God until way into the 20th yeah. century.
1: Yeah, there is a really uh how to put this um I'm sorry I'm like so discombobulated today no worries Um, there is a really uh how, how how to put this exactly I it's interesting to have discussed this with with readers who aren't necessarily coming from an evangelical background because even in as much as the evangelical church uh creates this uh purposeful amnesia within its congregations to insist that to really erase church history, like you don't grow up within the church learning about church history or learning about you know, like we don't, when you're a believer, you don't grow up understanding that in God we trust was put on U.S. currency by like in the mid 20th century or whatnot. It's like, oh, no, this is just a Christian nation. It's how it's always been. Um, So that happens within the church. But I forget how much the marketing has been exported so that it happens outside of the church as well. And so that it's those kind of really uh, strident moves that uh, President Eisenhower was making, especially with Billy Graham in the mid 20th century, have really been invisibilized and really forgotten at this point and it's not that far in the past like it's you know we're talking 1950s 1960s here that people are active very much still alive who were you know children and teenagers then and but there's a very um at this point like very intentional uh forgetting and dismissing of how intentional that evangelizing into the mainstream in this country has been, um, and putting that kind of really forceful Christian language at the front of patriotism and at the front of, uh, you know, America at the front of like and and marrying it to America first kind of language, um, you know, which Trump really succeeded in as well.
0: yeah. but but take us back a little bit. You, you were raised in the church. And you found a lot of meaning in it, um, as well as, you know, many
1: problems. Yeah, I I was raised in the church and, uh, you know, grew up, I grew up really rural Midwestern, like attending church, um, very country church. It's really weird to describe it in hindsight, because my upbringing very much, I think, seems like stereotypical country rural midwest in iowa in the way that folks out here might depict might might depict it in a movie and that's very strange um cuz i i really want to problematize uh that stereotype but i'm also like I did grow up in the middle of cornfields. I did grow up, <laughs> you know, in a town where there wasn't a stoplight, like not even in town, but outside of a town where there wasn't a stoplight and at a church where everyone knew each other and the kids are playing in the front yard before Sunday school and all of that, like very white, you know, rural America was very much the image Um but the issue, and so very much, it was very insulated and it was very purposefully uh, designed that way, uh, which I, you know, I don't want to say of course, but I was a kid. I didn't realize that at the time. And sure. I didn't come to understand what the problems were with that kind of um, upbringing and with that kind of very insulated um. Uh, community environment until later, Um, I will say, I think the first cracks in the glass for me uh, were probably due to the fact, honestly, that I grew up in a home and just as uh, I don't necessarily want to spring this on listeners, but I grew up in a home as I detail in the book with domestic violence, where that presented an immediate contrast to the purportedly ideal, uh, you know, Christian, um, like loving environment that I was being told should be happening at church and then I'd go home and it was a much very it's it was a much different um home situation and so those early cracks really uh exposed to me like and it really prompted me to think about how men and women were held to different standards and how men and women were um were just that not only held to different standards but how they were also ultimately like women were so limited in the capacity for in their capacity for agency and in ultimately how much power they could ever attain within life you know the ideal was a wife and mother the ideal like was like you couldn't ever like working outside the home wasn't something that was ideal under any circumstances um it was a
0: yeah Gina you're you you speak so well about feeling monitored as if
1: Mm -hmm.
0: your body is not your own your thoughts are not your own Mm -hmm. um and the the only time you really get relief in the book when you are still a christian yeah is momentarily after you get married (laughs) right because then at least everybody else is not observing you
1: yeah yeah in the in the church environment, there is such a, uh, I mean, I think that uh, to a certain extent, behavioral monitoring is common in all groups, right? Like whether you're in a high school clique or where you're having to conform in that way or whatnot, but in churches in evangelical churches, uh, there is such a heightened level of behavioral monitoring. And certainly that was the case in a lot of churches I went to and single women are suspect and single women, which we're also seeing an explosion of that right now on social media in the wake of the midterms with women being blamed by yes. Republican politicians and commentators on Twitter, <laughs> however long t- like Twitter might not yeah. exist when, <laughs> when this comes out, who knows, um, for like their poor uh, for for their poor showing. Um, but, but that really is baked in this foundational evangelical understanding that like single women and that women are not to be trusted because women's bodies are foundationally like evil, inherently suspect. You need the permission of monitoring of a man, a father, a husband, whoever. And so yeah, the only period uh, when I'm still uh, in the faith where I feel any <laughs> relief whatsoever from that monitoring and those expectations is when I'm initially married because I I had what what it turned out to be was the false belief, but I was like, oh, I'm married. I'm safe now. I'm okay. Like I'm married and no one can talk shit to me at all because like (laughs) my husband has given me, you know, quote unquote permission, which is itself such a, a complicated and fraught idea that like I have his permission to be like working and in grad school and in this Mm. PhD program. So no one, no one can critique that because they have to actually take it up with him and he will back me. So it's fine. And that's also flawed. (laughs) You know, this idea that my own choices themselves were not valid. I had to have a man vouching for me.
0: And I I think you do such a good job in the book about talking about stereotypes about, you know, if I, uh, a Northeasterner, um imagined what a religious person mm-hmm. was. You're right. Like the idea that you were, you believed in your God and yeah. you were in academia studying women's studies nonetheless. Um, it, it's a nice check on all of our. Uh,
1: What's the word I'm looking for? Like, like assumptions or assumptions. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I will say, in in the wake of because I've been out here, you know, um, I I was in Boston for grad school and lived there for a few years, and now I've been in New York for about seven years, and so I've been out here for for quite a while too now. And I have, I think, because of those initial experiences I had and that I detail in the book of of moving out here and being in specifically in urban like metropolitan areas uh, which I've only lived in on the you know northern coast in urban metropolitan areas and been in academic media literary circles I've been around certain kinds of people and I am checked I am checked regularly by my friends out here who are from like rural New England you know or who are from like just a much more country areas and who are like not like you can't generalize you can't just say Mm -hmm. New Englanders are like this you you can't just say people from New York are like this like upstate is super conservative (laughs) which we also saw bear out in this last election like (laughs) so I, I also get checked in my own assumptions based on my own like you know limited exposure and experience to like what people from a certain region are like and and that has also been valuable um, yeah, like my, of my, yeah like my partner is from Vermont and she's like you forget that this is the least populated state bar in <laughs> Wyoming like like there's no one in Vermont like it is profoundly rural like a lot of the experiences you talk about I cannot like you know a lot of us can actually relate to um right. having to drive forever to get to a certain place so yeah
0: yeah and so so tell me a little bit about some of the dissonance that that mm. you're feeling um studying um great women thinkers yeah and and at the same time knowing that you're supposed to very literally submit to to your husband
1: yeah i mean i like very blatantly rejected the idea of submission um which or at least I intellectually rejected the idea and very much uh, within evangelicalism and this might be a little too in the weeds for this conversation but there are kind of two ideologies around that "wives submit to your husband's idea Mm -hmm. and the one that's essentially and I break them down in the book but the one that's essentially just like patriarchy is called quote unquote complementarianism which is essentially a separate but equal doctrine that like men and women are created by God and because there are only men and women within evangelicalism like sure gender, of course gender gender expansiveness does not exist there is no recognition of the validity or like you know humane lived experience of trans folks um so that like men and women are created with you know certain inalienable <laughs> like qualities and that women's are inevitably to serve um and so there's that idea and i just full sale rejected that and the other idea which is quote unquote egalitarianism is that they is that you submit to each other um slash like are you know just to have a respectful relationship is I think how folks on the outside would see that you know (laughs) what I mean like oh you're both human beings you choose to just respect each other in a relationship that's chill but this is a this is a serious theological debate in the church which I think should indicate a lot of what's wrong in evangelicalism and also the Republican Party. Um, so like this is where a lot of the like women's autonomy and Roe stuff comes from um, at the at the rut. Um, But yeah, so that's where I was coming from with my uh, understand with my with the cognitive dissonance. I think that's why I was able to stay in it for as long as I did was because I rejected those more extreme conservative readings. And I was really fighting for a way to, um, I was really fighting for a way to stay, just to stay. And I also really understood my intelligence, like from an early, early age. And this is such a gift in hindsight. I understood my intelligence to have been a gift from God. And I understood my intelligence to have been a like quote-unquote, calling on my life, and I didn't see it as something that was wrong with me. And and that is something that, you know, I, I am, in hindsight, profoundly grateful to my parents for encouraging. Like, you know, there, there were a lot of things that went not so great in our home and in my relationships with them, but they they never diminished my mind, and they never... Uh, they were always encouraging of my intellectual pursuits. And I think that gave me a really large like buffer to hold that dissonance in hindsight. So
0: that's, that's really wonderful. Um...
2: If you want to avoid boring, basic and bland gifts this year, Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, Uncommon Good knows exactly what they want. Here's a few of my favorite gifts that I found on their site. Probably the coolest gift I've seen on Uncommon Goods is the custom wall art. Artist Claudia Moldovan transforms any favorite song whether it's something you heard at a concert or on your first date. And she cuts wooden pieces in the exact shapes of the song Sound waves. It's made not too far from New York in Latham. And it's just a really creative gift that has a lot of meaning to give to someone that you really care about. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These fine products are often made in small batches, so shop now before they sell out this holiday season. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high-quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. From art and jewelry, the kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Not the same lackluster gifts you can find just anywhere. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash Maris. That's uncommongoods.com slash Maris for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary.
0: When you're hiring, you're supposed to leave no stone unturned, but how do you actually do that? Easy partner with one powerful stone turner. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com maris to start hiring now just go to indeed.com slash Maris, indeed.com slash Maris. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of the concepts that I'm not familiar with that you talk about in the book that I see in so many friends, Mm -hmm. um, is the idea of religious trauma. Mm-hmm. That that there that it there is a level of PTSD that former uh, evangelicals uh, go through. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's when I found that uh, phrase, phrase, concept, idea. Uh, religious trauma um, connected to religious trauma syndrome, which uh, a psychologist named Marlene Blinnell, uh first posited in 2011, I believe uh it really felt validating and um and just extraordinarily like obvious <laughs> you, you know like oh, of course we were in and and an, an ob- and also wildly applicable to anyone who has, uh, you know, been in a cult, been in a very extreme uh, orthodox, controlling, authoritarian type religion. I think ver- various forms of, you know, Catholicism, Islam, Orthodox Judaism, Hasidim Obvious, like just so many of these things uh, fall under this. Um, and I was like, oh, obviously, <laughs> like this is, this was a traumatic experience. This yeah. is, this is a kind of trauma um, to have grown up in such a strict total really like to- totalitarian um like system um in which the stakes are your eternal soul and no biggie <laughs> no biggie which i think so- can sound really ridiculous if to folks who haven't been inside of that it's like that's that's something out of a fantasy novel you know that how could that be taken seriously but it's it it really is the world in which any moral and in, in which all of your choices have a really high level of morality attached to them and in which it's a constant scale being weighed against you and also against the people you love and like against your friends at school and that's just a really horrifying way I think for children to be raised um and yeah, it really, Gina, it
0: really I you. I um kind of knew this in my gut, but i I needed you to spell it out for me in the mm-hmm. book that, like, this version of Jesus is not all welcoming mm-hmm. and
1: he, he's wrathful, yeah, yeah. this version this version of Jesus is very wrathful and and can be loving and sure, but is but there is it's it's jesus but it's also this extraordinary emphasis on the wrath of god the father and on that very um again my my lens here being a a christian one on that very old testament fire and brimstone and Mm -hmm. we are smiting a city against our uh you know against uh, against our attackers and against those who are, who those who have done wrong or who have offended us. And that could be you, <laughs> you know, like, like you can fall in an instant, like it doesn't take, it doesn't take much. Um, and even, even Jesus, I think gets off a little easy these days, <laughs> <And> which, <laughs> which uh, is not a popular thing to say. I know there's this, I so appreciate how Cameron Esposito, who is a queer comedian, who I love has, has spoken so much about the quote unquote cool Jesus who's very much in the media um, these days and all of this discussion of you know of how of how the white church essentially has uh, erased his brownness and how he was a Palestinian Jew who was the son of refugees and I think that's that is a very important reclamation and also he said a lot of shit about a lot of people like (laughs) He hung out with sex workers. Yeah, he would hang out with them if they reformed. Like that, you know. There are all of there are a lot of contingencies and a lot of ifs and if then that I think people forget about. Like, yeah, the woman accused of adultery. He said, "You have to like you. You can't keep like having a fun time sledding around. You know, like he wasn't <laughs> slut positive over here. Like you, So I think there's just a lot of um, a lot of very uh." liberal, using that, like in the very literal sense, like very liberal readings of Jesus that have maybe forgotten what the text actually says, if we are going to hold to the text. So that's my personal take.
0: (laughs) Gina, talk to me a little bit about structure and the actual writing of the book, because you do go back and forth in time in, in, in your narrative in a really elegant way. And um, that that must've been, I, I imagine
1: it would be hard to do. It it took a lot of versions. <laughs> it took a lot of drafts, yes. Um, and also the uh, great and wonderful help of my brilliant editor, uh, Jenny Shu, who was at Harper. Um, and uh, which I, I don't know that I ultimately could have figured this, particular draft out without her uh, exceptional edits. Uh, She was a wonderful, was just a brilliant mind for it. Um, It was very clear to me that the book would not be just a straight chronological narrative memoir and it was always hybrid to some extent incorporating church history and pop culture. Um, But the extent to which it does toggle back and forth in time to an extent really varied over the years. Um, and, And it was figuring out that, it was ultimately, I think, figuring out that a, like, AB story, if you will, like, which, sure. was going, like, which was going to be primary, what was the memoir going to be primary? Or was the criticism, you know, to lump it all under that label? Was that going to be primary? Because uh, there were different versions of the book in which both of them were primary. And so, that was the was the big debate. Um, the version that because we took it out, my agent and I took it out on submission in a version in which the memoir was very primary, and that did not sell at all, <laughs> no bites. Um, so then we retoggled and re uh, edit like just totally struck it all, started from scratch and did a version where the history and criticism was more forward. And that was the version that Jenny bought, but she just really saw the vision for the book and really encouraged me to go back and dig up a lot more of the memoir pieces and also ultimately go back further than I had planned mm. on going into my childhood and also to pull the uh, memoir pieces more forward because uh, we do end in the present day essentially uh, there are some not continuous bits but there are some more fragmented bits that, that do bring us up um, we start to telescope time pretty quickly there toward the end and uh, and that was uh, Jenny's influence um especially as the, the God narrative became also much more forward. It was like, well, we want to see how you're doing now. So absolutely, I ended, up writing, ended up writing a lot about that.
0: And, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm asking for a little spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because you do talk a lot in the book about what it means to be a heretic and what it means to be symbolically... Mm-hmm. executed mm-hmm. um and yet I read the acknowledgements and you mm-hmm. thank your parents and they yeah. seem to still be in your life tell me can you tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah <laughs> yeah so they we are very much estranged right now I will say um they have I I It was, but it was really important for me to thank them because they have known about the book for years and I have had many conversations with my mom about the book over the years and she has been very, she's been very generous like she shared some of her journals with me. Um, I, I do attribute my journaling, like I've been journaling regularly for more than 20 years at this point. And I do attribute my journaling practice to mimicking her when I was young, um, cause she's journaled for so long. Um, and even in the estrangement, it was very last year, I decided to take a trip back to Iowa so that I could talk to them face to face about what was in the book, because It was just very important to me that they hear it from me. And I know that not everyone would do that. I don't think everyone has to do that by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know that people owe like certain folks in their life, that kind of thing. But it was, yeah, it was really important to me to, um, that they not, because certain things in the book are really painful, but they just not like hear it from a nosy, you know, neighbor or whatnot. Uh, Like, did you know, cause just about, you know, like how small towns are, like, do you know that your daughter said this? Like, I just wanted that to be very like direct and whatnot, which I think is a way that New York has rubbed off on me because I am (laughs) much more direct these days uh, than most of my family. That's, that's brave. Thank Um, you. It did not feel brave.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tell me where tarot fits into your life now.
1: Mm. Yeah, these days I have a much more, I think, relaxed relationship with tarot. Uh, It's really something that I only go to occasionally for myself. It's really become much more of a um much more of a practice i have with my partner uh who is a professional tarot reader uh meg jones wall and so we read cards together probably on a weekly basis like at least once a week or so we'll read cards together like on a sunday morning um as a little like couple you know oh like we'll, we have our breakfast and we have our tarot card readings together and it's something we first started doing when we got together like we'd read cards every morning and and we still do that and i think that's really sweet um But for my, in my personal practice, it's no longer something I feel the need to do all the time, um, which I think is indicative of how I've I don't want to say indicative of how I've grown because everyone's practice is so individual. But for me, initially, I was reading all the time, I think, in part to really figure out who I was. And that was where the relationship with the cards came from. And it's really ebbed waned, and waned over the years, which is upped um, and flowed, waxed and waned, mixing my metaphors. <laughs> um, but uh, but these days, it's it's something that I, I pull out when I have like big questions, um, you know, for, for big check-ins which is and, which is nice
0: and 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 it, it seemed like and maybe this is putting your story into too tight a narrative mm-hmm. but that the finding other ways to be spiritual or to develop community um have really been a guiding force in, in this part of your life
1: yes yes very much so um tarot is definitely i like i i should also add like like i think i say in the book i absolutely like always bring decks when I have events happening or like group outings you know like a picnic in Prospect Park or my writer's retreat is like going upstate for our annual little thing like I'll spend a night reading cards for everyone I just did that this last August Um, like we all ended up reading everyone's cards it was so beautiful Um, like that kind of because I think it's such a beautiful way to like engender intimacy and to Um, and yeah just to really facilitate conversation so I think that's a really something that I've I've kept up Um, and I I really that it it's a just really beautiful like door opener for um, for people yeah and folks are all like folks are always curious about it too yeah so that's that's always really fun yeah
0: this was fantastic
1: before we go Mm -hmm. Will you recommend some books for us, please? Absolutely. Some books, uh, these are uh, very much nonfiction memoir hybrid memoir type books uh if you enjoy heretic or are curious about it please check out these uh vanessa b's homebound which is just a brilliant memoir it came out um, earlier in october and vanessa is also an ex-evangelical and also lived in somerville for a while <laughs> like i did um but her memoir spans three continents and just is a brilliant like meditation on what home means And then also uh, Joe Osmondson's Virology, which is an essay collection that um, I think everyone should be reading in our um, pandemic, post-pandemic world. So those are some life-changing books I have read this year.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Again, the book is called Heretic. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.